Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, you will hear from experts Ruben Mesa and Naveen Pemaraju, who share some highlights from the 2022 Texas MPN workshop. The experts dive into therapies in essential thrombocythemia, polycythemia vera, and myelofibrosis, and comment on future outlooks in the field. Hello, my name is Ruben Massen. I'm the Executive Director of the Mays Cancer Center at UT Health, San Antonio MD Anderson, and delighted to be at this third and the first in-person Texas MPN workshop with my good friend and co-organizer, Dr. Naveen Pemraju. Naveen, welcome. Ruben, thank you so much. Hi everyone, I'm Naveen Pemaraju, Associate Professor of Leukemia uh, in Houston at MD Anderson, and it's my great privilege to be here with my friend, uh, Ruben Mesa, and our colleague, Dr. Serge Verstovsik, uh, and the three of us co-founded this auspicious occasion, Ruben, together, the Texas MPN Workshop. So we had this concept several years ago uh, of really trying to bring together the MPN community in a unique workshop here in our home state of Texas, to be able to dive deeper into some of the key issues in terms of the biology of MPNs, inflammation, clonal hematopoiesis, implications for prognosis, and really take a deep dive in terms of therapy, where therapies are evolving, unmet needs, and key parts. So we're excited to be here in person. So let's share with you just a little bit of the summary of that, particularly as it relates to how therapies are evolving. So first, Naveen, why don't we start with, with ET? You know, where do you see that we are now and where is that cutting edge in ET? Ruben, thank you so much. So I think for everyone out there in essential thrombocytosis, we are actually seeing some movement very nicely in both the research aspects and for the patient care. I think the, the traditional standards of ET have been this concept of either hydroxyurea or interferon. But the couple of new topics that are coming out in ET is looking at new mechanisms of action, new drug pathways, uh, such as the LSD1 pathway, for example, and also looking at which patients may be more higher risk than we thought before, molecular marker incorporation, uh, et cetera. And then I think also, Ruben, trying to calculate and understand the JAK2 mutation versus, say, the CalR, the MIPL, is there prognostic significance? And then finally, uh, as you have talked about very nicely before, our colleagues, uh, Anne Mullally in the United States in Boston, uh, Professor Kralovics in Europe, starting to look at seeing if there's unique targets, including immunotherapy, such as with the CalR mutation frequent in ET. So kind of a lot of development in our field of ET when maybe before there wasn't. You know, it's something I'm very excited about. These patients are heterogeneous. There clearly are some, not all, who really have significant suffering from their symptoms, recurring vascular events, they're all concerned about risk of progression. So I'm excited about both there being some new drugs as well as some perhaps the unique capabilities to target CalR in the future. Now in polycythemia vera, we had an exciting approval last year, November of 2022 in the United States with ropegylate interferon alpha-2b or Bezremi, previously approved in Europe. Uh, some exciting things going on with PV. One, first, how do you think that rollout is going? And two, you, you know, we've got some exciting new things, some hepcidin mimetics coming up, up on board. Uh, where do you think they're gonna fit? Ruben, you're right. Again, just like we were mentioning in ET, but even more so in PV for our patients, 
lots of excitement, not just on the research, but in the, in the clinical space. Ruben just mentioned this uh, ropegylated interferon, which amazingly, uh, led by our colleagues, uh, Professor Hasselbach, Kalajian, Gislinger, and others, 7.5 years, so seven and a half year long-term data comparing the Bezrimi ropeg interferon agent versus hydroxyurea, really showing clinical benefit for patients specifically with P-Vera. And I think also for you and me, what's impressive is that the drug is now US FDA approved uh, on the basis of that robust European data. So you and I and others have already started to prescribe the agent as standard of care in the clinic. It's very nice for our patients in that it's only every two weeks injection in the beginning and then spaces out to one month. So we'll see how that goes, but it's, it's really great to be able to have another uh, tool, if you will. And then you mentioned some of the other agents in clinical trial, the hepcidin mimetic, rusfertide, PTG300, now completing phase two and heading into a multinational phase three. So again, lots of movement in our earlier MPNs, whereas maybe before there wasn't. You know, it, it truly is an exciting time. I think one for physicians to kind of come back to interferon. You know, community physicians really remember kind of their, their, their father's interferon, short acting, high dose for CML or melanoma or renal cell. That was very toxic. This right. is a totally different deal. Individuals that hadn't used pegylated interferon alpha 2A, this is really quite helpful. You know, so in new patients who need cytoreductive therapy and PV, I'm putting them on ropegylated interferon. Individuals that are on pegylated interferon alpha 2A, if they're having issues, I, I will consider a, absolutely a switch and have done so well. The new hepcidin mimetics, interesting. We also have a new one uh, in our clinic by Ionis. A slightly different mechanism of action, but the same idea. You know, recreate kind of a pseudo state of anemia of chronic disease to create hematocrit control without iron deficiency and the resulting toxicity. Now, myelofibrosis tends to be the proven ground for drugs. Although it's the smallest group of patients, it's really the greatest unmet need. Now we had ruxolitinib in 2011, fidradinib 2019, and now in, in February of 2022. And now some others uh, clearly coming up behind. Mamelodinib, which I presented at uh, EHA, uh, along with uh, surge receptor presented at EHA, I presented at ASCO showing great activity as a JAK inhibitor improved spleen symptoms and the potential of anemia. Pacridinib, particularly useful for individuals with thrombocytopenia, first or second line. Fedratinib and, and ruxolitinib, two real cornerstones, very active spleen and symptoms and good drugs. So first, in terms of JAK inhibitors, you know, uh, how do you see them kind of all fitting together in, in your patients at the current time? Right, Ruben, and, and you and Serge and others have really been, and Claire Harrison, our colleague in the UK, have been at the cutting edge of all of these JAK inhibitors. So it's great for our patients to know that in the US there's now three approved uh, JAK inhibitors, as Ruben mentioned, with the fourth one, momolotinib, in the advanced stages of clinical development. I think this is the big question of our time, just like you and I saw in the CML era when there were multiple drugs post imatinib. What you said is correct. How are we gonna sequence these drugs? How are we gonna pick the right drug for the right patient in the absence of biomarkers or molecular guidance? And then what are the unique, uh, shall we say, non-JAK inhibitor or beyond JAK inhibitor pathways that each of these drugs hits? And what are the benefits of that and the toxicity? So, I think you and I agree that it's a good thing that we have more options for our patients. The FDA and regulatory agencies will give us the guidance on the particular niche areas, but a big win for our patients. 
I think also the other concept is how we pair the JAK inhibitors with other uh, chemo drugs, adjunct agents, growth factors. It's just a whole new era for our patients with myelofibrosis. And as you and I know, stem cell transplant remains the only curative modality. So how do these drugs uh, interact for the patient pre-stem cell transplant and even post if they need it? And then you know, the final thing that we cover, which is a key one, is now we have multiple drugs with alternative mechanisms of action that clearly are having a, a role, both kind of alone or in combination. Agents that may help to improve anemia, like lispatercept, agents that are telomerase inhibitors, uh, agents that are uh, BET inhibitors, BCLX cell inhibitors, P3 kinase inhibitors, or others. Naveen, which of these are you most excited about? What, what, what are some of the phase three data that folks are expecting to see soonest? You know, we both have been in, intimately involved in, right. in all of this development, but what should folks know at this point? That's right, Ruben, that's very exciting. And, and as everyone knows out there, Ruben and I are active clinical trialists, so not meant to be a summary, uh, but, but to give people a flavor. There are three current, if you guys can believe it, combinations with JAK inhibitor plus a novel agent in phase three global multinational studies. Uh, one of them features inhibiting BCLXL uh, that you and I are part of, the Nevitoclax, adding on to ruxolitinib. Then there's the uh, Palabrasib, BET or bromodomain inhibitor, and then even PI3 kinase combining with the Rux JAK inhibitor. So those three in particular, just because they're in the later stages. But as you and I know, and our colleagues around the world have tried any number of different other strategies, including telomerase inhibition, as you mentioned, targeting CD123, heat shock 90, apoptotic proteins, et cetera. I think the key for us is two. One is for folks to know out there, no matter how rare these diseases are, that we have people all over the world, labs, a lot of whom are collaborating uh, together to look at new pathways, right? That's what you're mentioning to us beyond Jack and then working on the side effects and problems that people have, so thrombocytopenia, anemia, so how to deliver the JAK inhibitor, but then to improve the count. So I think those are the exciting areas for people to keep their eye on. Well, wonderful. Well, I hope that we've really left you with a sense of tremendous progress, you know, but, but both exciting discussions here at this Texas MPN workshop, but great progress, ET, PV, MF, you know, and benefits that that really result from the research into these diseases will impact, I think, not only, only NPN patients, but those with MDS, NPN-MDS overlap, hopefully have implications in terms of less patients' progression to acute leukemia. Heck, might even have implications in terms of broader issues of health with clonal hematopoiesis, cardiovascular mortality. There's even discussion on intersections of how clonal hematopoiesis interferes or has an impact on cognitive health, brain health, and the risk of development of Alzheimer's. So the whole body's connected, but it all starts with the blood. So we're, we're, we're excited by what we do. Naveen, any final thoughts? Well, I just really love, anytime I talk to Ruben, I get even more excited about what we're doing. I think for you and me, as we've always said before, it's all about our patients. So it's a patient-centered approach. This Texas MPN workshop, despite two and a half years of pandemic, we've been able to bring folks together. Professor Barbui is here from Italy in person. We've got folks here from all over the world connecting about MPNs here in San Antonio. And on behalf of Ruben, Serge Verstovsik, and myself, we're honored to be on this journey with all of you. And we just want people, Ruben, to know that they're not alone. We're here for them. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time!